Welcome to Topless Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Baller, and I'm your host for Topless Water. I'm also principal of Collaborative Water Resolution, which you can find at waterdisputes.org. In addition, I'm editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. Both publications are free. My guest today is Reen June. Reen is a professional engineer who serves as the director of the floodplain division of the Texas Water Development Board. Reem is leading the effort to develop the statewide flood planning program and the first state flood plan for Texas. Reem has over 22 years of private and public sector experience in engineering, modeling, mapping, capital improvement project portfolio management and delivery, management and leadership. Prior to joining the Water Development Board in 2019, Reem worked for the City of Austin, AECOM, Pasminco Allura Mine. Did I say that right? I get close. Yes, okay. Yeah, close enough. Close. And the Victoria Department of Natural Resources and Environment in Australia. Reem has an MS in civil engineering from the University of Texas at Austin and an undergraduate degree in environmental engineering, engineering with first class honors from the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in Melbourne, Australia. Reem, welcome and thank you for being part of Talkless Water. Thank you so much for having me. So I always like to start with what, you know, someone's background is in water. When did you kind of first become interested in water and and think, you know, this might be a career for me? I will respond to the question with uh, when I became interested in flooding as my profession. My undergraduate degree was in environmental engineering. Uh, My uh, incentive was that being able to do something which leaves our planet a little bit better than how it's given to us. It's a basic theory of sustainable development. When I was working uh, in Austin in a consulting firm many, many years ago, I worked on a low water crossing. It crosses Bull Creek in Austin. It's 2022 uh, that before it hits 360, the iconic bridge of Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 20 or so years ago, that bridge was that low water crossing 20 to 22 was about 20 feet lower than where it is today. I was doing hydraulic modeling on it, and one morning there was a storm, and I went by to take pictures to make it the cover of my uh, report as a young engineer. By the time I came back to my office, I learned something, that the night before there was a storm, and somebody was uh, passing through that water crossing, was washed off, and lost their lives. So that left a lasting impact on me. And then as I progressed in my career, I realized that the project that gave me most um, satisfaction was that one that I know has contributes towards saving people's lives. So today I continue to work on flooding many years later, and uh, where I am, we plan for it. So planning, we do not see the direct impact on where it's actually the project is going in the ground and saving someone's life but I have seen it in my career. And that would move me into working in public sector in the city of Austin first. And when this came along, uh, I felt like I just needed to do this. Um, so that's what brought me to flooding, not so much as water. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Uh, and boy, that's a you know example, a really tragic example, but but one that you hear a lot about here in in Central Texas, and and it can be really deceiving. I know people see water over the road, and you know they think oh, I can drive through that, but it, you know it just doesn't take that much water to be able to lift off a car and, and carry it downstream. So. Yep, it really does not. And then it's uh, sometimes it's dark and water flows very fast in this situation. Right, right. So, you know, kind of staying with this, you know, Texas seems to have kind of, you know, more than its share of floods. Um, you know, what do you think makes the state so flood prone? So there are a few things. I think a lot of folks heard about us, the central of Texas, especially being in the flash flood alley. What it means is we see rainfall very quickly. We have a lot of water coming down very quickly, so the water gathers very quickly and flows very fast. So that causes uh, the, the example I gave, the water crossings, water flowing very fast, our creeks fill up very quickly, they're flushy. So that's where the flush bloody, uh, flood alley comes. Um, term comes also because of the weather, the unique weather condition apparently in Central Texas causes us to have some of those very intense storms. Uh, That's Central Texas. Now let's go to the coast where we saw Hurricane Harvey. Houston, our coast, as you know, is very flat. And when you see a storm like Hurricane Harvey, which is so much continuous water in a short period of time, it's very hard to plan and prepare for that. Even if we plan and prepare for that, we really hope the impact will be lesser next time. But if there is a Harvey again, we are going to see flooding. So it's our best practice is we're trying to do twofold effort. One, implementing project, which will reduce the impact on those and be prepared for it. So, you know, kind of like you said, you know, those are such extreme events, Harvey, mm-hmm. that, you know, you're going to have a flood and there's not much you can do about that, except for be prepared to like make sure the impacts are not as severe next time around. But, uh, you know, just kind of thinking about, you know, some of the impacts, I mean, it seems like, you know, there are a lot of structures in Texas that are kind of in the floodplains or maybe close to the floodplains and, and um, you know, there's a damage associated with them and uh you know kind of you know every time you have a flood uh you're you know you're picking up those things and they're washing downstream and and, you know causing impacts on their way um and uh it is kind of hard to keep people from encroaching on the floodplain a lot of ways i mean they you know we kind of have a history of of people doing that all over the country you know building in floodplains and things so you touched on a very important and key point. Um, the one, two of the big things, we always put it this way, that we are spending a lot of effort to make sure that the existing flood risk, which is people and buildings that are already in the floodplain, already in harm's way, to mitigate that. How do we reduce the risk there? Equally important is to make sure that we are not adding more people in a structure in the floodplain, not putting additional um, uh, folks in harm's way. So the flood planning process actually focuses on both. There, um, uh, the the more expensive one is to reduce the risk of uh, exi- on existing structures. The less expensive but 
equally important and effective one is looking at where there is opportunity for floodplain management practices, opportunity for identifying what those flood risks are. Um, you talked about we have history of people being in the floodplain. Uh, partially, it is that folks may not have known that they shouldn't be building here because there is flood risk. It is in the floodplain. Um, so there's a continuously evolving process. And a uh, very important point, yes, uh, the planning process focuses on both of those. So you already mentioned Hurricane Harvey. Um, is that one? Is that the biggest flood event in the state's history? And you know what? Tell us a little bit about the impacts of that flood, and maybe some other you know notable floods that you that you uh, you know study. Right. So I'll touch on some of the recent ones. Hurricane Kirby is one of the uh, one of the key reason why Senate Bill Senate Bill 8 was passed and then which created this flood planning program. So Hurricane Harvey um, caused 89 lives to be lost. And then the monetary cost is estimated to be about $143 billion. So that's a that's a large storm. And one thing we say is that the cost of recovering from a storm is always dollar value was much higher than what it can do ahead of time, preparing for it to reduce uh, the impact of flooding. A few other large storms that happened in recent past was one is the 2016 tax state flood. Uh, the monetary cost of that is $3.2 billion approximately, and then there are eight lives lost in that. Uh, not too long ago before that, 2015 Memorial Day flood that was in Central Texas, I was actually working as a uh, flood risk reduction engineer with City of Austin at this point and saw some of this in the ground. So the 2015 Memorial Day flood in Central Texas, we lost 14 lives. And this is uh, the Central Texas area. And then the cost is estimated to be over $100 million in damages. Yeah, that's the flood that hit Wimberley really hard, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was a, uh, yeah, I know quite a bit about that because I was working for the uh, Guadalupe Blanco River Authority at that point. That's in their their uh, jurisdiction. And uh, that was also kind of the end of a, a major drought. We seems like we get big floods sometimes at the end of major droughts, like end of the drought record in 1957. We had a big flood as well. Um, so... Kind of, you know, moving from that point to where we are today, it seems like most states, you know, you've got the Corps of Engineers and, and FEMA, you know, who are, you know, taking care of flooding issues. Uh, but, you know, Texas, in addition to having the help of those two federal agencies, um, you know, now has a, a flood planning uh, program process. And so, you know, I want you to tell us a little bit uh, before, you know, we talk about that process about, um, you know, do other states have similar programs and the one you're going to describe to us here in a minute? Sure. Um, I will start with a little bit of background of the flood planning program. After Hurricane Harvey, state looked at what can we do statewide to comprehensively look at how do we address our uh, flooding Situation: How do you address our flood risk and um, put funding towards uh, reducing that risk? 
Uh, we have a very successful water planning program, which probably a lot of um, your audience is familiar with. Our yeah. water planning program is a over 20 year in the running. It looks at uh, demand, supply, and plans for water in the future. And so the legislature probably looked no further than uh, TWDB and thought, okay, well, how about we do that for flood planning as well? So the flood planning program is set up in a very similar way, like it's bottom-up approach, 15 regional flood planning groups. And uh, the idea is to look at the comprehensive flood risk in the state, identifying what our need is. If we don't know where our problems are, then we cannot work towards solving that problem. So I'll get into it probably with a later question, but that's the big picture view, what flood planning is doing. Army Corps of Engineers and FEMA both have very strong presence in Texas. They work with local communities. Um, uh, Army Corps of Engineers funds large-scale projects and will continue to do that role. FEMA maps, uh, planning groups utilize the FEMA maps as a basis. One example, when we started this process, Approximately over 60 counties in Texas had no maps, no flood risk maps. So those counties, we talked about people building in the floodplain. So if there are 64 or 65 counties with no maps, people are not aware where they're not supposed to build or where they're supposed to build. Uh, so the flood planning process comprehensively, first, first of all, we're identifying that vacuum and I can get into it a bit more later, but came up with some, at least a basic, we call it cursory floodplain, cursory floodplain information for those um, counties. So we have a comprehensive coverage of um, flood hazard in the state of Texas. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the theme of floodplain maps. They were, a lot of them were, were fairly out of date. At some point, I remember, you know, 20 years ago or so when I was, you know, having a look at them. And, and so have they made, uh, has there been a big effort to update those maps over the last couple of decades? So that is a continuous effort. You're correct. We have, so I talked about over 60 counties not having anything. I didn't talk about the counties who does have flood map, but outdated paper maps. Uh, so it's a continuous process, but it's uh, working with the communities that this uh, prioritizing is how it gets updated. And that's an ongoing process, but there is a, there is a huge blank um, in the state where we do not have FEMA maps yet. Uh, the state, uh, right now, TWDB is also um, overseeing what we call base level engineering mapping programs. So we're coming up with maps for the rest of uh, Texas or entire state of Texas. So we're hoping by end of 2024, we'll have a basic map, flood hazard map coverage for the state of Texas. So will that be different than the FEMA map or is that, are, are those two going to be meshed together or, or how would that work? So BLE, you could think about it as uh uh, someone can take a BLE and did a little bit of more of work and bring it up to FEMA standard. So it would be the first stepping stone for FEMA maps where there are no FEMA maps. Now, having said that, if some community has a 20-year-old paper map, the BLE map that TWDB is producing with LIDAR data uh, is much better representation of the flood risk in that area compared to that outdated FEMA map. So just so everybody is on the same page, BLE, base level elevation, is that what that means? Base level engineering. Engineering. Okay, yep. I got close. I got two out of mm-hmm. three. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit now about that new process. Uh, so this is the this is the first round of of developing a flood plan for the state, I think. And so you've got fifteen regional groups that are I guess they're putting together their own individual plans, uh, and they've been working for a few years now. Can you kind of describe that and and who you know who in each of these regions you know kind of are working on them? It's a, it's kind of a, it's a, you know, grass level uh, or grassroots, that's it, grassroots level process, right? Absolutely. I can touch on that. Um, So they're watershed-based region to start with, and it was done that way because, as we all know, water doesn't follow jurisdictional boundary. So they're river basin-based. Those are the 15 regions. Much like water planning, the legislature asked us that each region will have to have um, uh, voting members to represent specific interest categories. Because this was the first planning cycle, TWDB solicited those members, and we received about 600 nominations for the 177 positions. That, that shows you the much-needed interest and energy around the program. So once the planning groups were, you know, these members were selected, TWDB then uh, ran the first set of meetings, helped them adopt their bylaws, uh, helped them select a chair for each of the regions, and then select a sponsor. So there is this self-governing body of the regional flood planning group. Each of them has a sponsor. For example, GBRA, Guadalupe Blanco River Authority, is a sponsor for that region. Uh, it, what the sponsor does is that has a contract with TWDB, which enables us to give grant money to these plant planning groups. So the regional flood planning group can hire a technical consultant to develop the flood plan based on the scope of work that we provide to them. Uh, so that's uh, kind of three pieces of people. Regional flood planning groups are really the self-governing body who is guiding this whole process. Uh, TWDB helps administer the process and provides the grant money from the state. And then the sponsor plays the role of uh, doing the contract. So it's, it's pretty much the same kind of process that's used for regional water planning. Absolutely. Uh, we say that we were very fortunate to have a playbook uh, like the water planning. We talked to some of the other states which passed legislature similar to Texas in recent years. And for us, having this playbook really helped us doing this so quickly and getting the tremendous amount of information that has come in in the last two years. So for regional water planning, um, you know, the, there's a list of folks who represent various interests mm-hmm. who are on each group. And is it, so is it kind of the same, you know, setup for flood planning? You know, you've got like, I guess, a large industry rep and a small industry rep and then, you know, agricultural rep and, you know, that kind of thing. We have very similar things. So we have cities, counties, industrial interest, agriculture. We added one. To what the legislature gave us, that's the flood district. Flood district, okay. Which is very relevant to this process. Are there any other um, differences that are notable between the two? I know there's 16 regional water planning groups, and I guess there's 15 flood groups. 
That is correct. So we have 15 flood groups. The boundaries do not match. Our The flood planning group boundaries are based on river basins of Texas. So if you look at the regional flood planning group or I imagine it, it's basically if you think of our river basins, you'll know what the boundaries are. Some of them are split into two. Uh, because they're so large and also our flood problem in the coast is different from flood problem on the other side of the state. Um, so that's one difference, the boundaries. Uh, the other big difference is while administratively they're very similar, the signs of flood is very, very different. So the scope of work and the work they're doing, the information that's coming out is very different uh, compared to what's happening in the water planning uh, side. Mm. And so uh, your your role in all this, you're overseeing that process, I guess, and, you know, that you're going to be getting or you are getting now, I guess, maybe the regional water plants are they're coming to you now, I guess. Yes. So we received the first sets of regional flood plan on January of this year. Uh, for us, we say that was really a very key milestone moment. This is the very sa- first sets of 15 regional flood plans that came our way on time and administratively complete in January. We are currently going through a review process of this. And once that is all done, it will go to our board. And once our board approves it, it will officially become the first sets of regional flood plans. So I guess, uh, you know, sometime soon you'll have all 15 of them and then you'll you'll start, I guess, the process of, uh, of knitting them together into one big state plan. Yes. So we are waiting for the amended plan in July 15 because it was such a compressed timeline. After the first cycle is done, it will be every five years uh, for the first cycle. We didn't quite have that. The bill was passed in 2019. We really started working on this on 2020. End of 2020, the groups were formed and started working. And here we are at the beginning of 2023. So the planning groups did not have enough time for the smaller communities to bring their projects in because the smaller communities often do not have that flood hazard information. If you do not have the flood hazard information, you do not know where the problem is. Uh, and then solution is a long way after that. So this additional um, few months, we actually took it from us, the time that we had to put the state flood plan together and gave it to the planning group so they can bring in a few more projects from those communities in this. We're already in the process of starting to put together some of this information. The state flood plan is due to the legislature on September 1st of 2024. So we are running pretty fast at the moment. Uh, It will be here sooner than we know. So uh, before we talk a little bit about how you're going to fit all those plans together, um, is there anything that surprised you in the plans you've gotten so far? I mean, are are they pretty much, you know, coming to you how you thought they might originally look? There are two things that comes to mind when you ask me that question. One is I'm actually pretty proud of. I mentioned towards the beginning that we have over 60-something counties who had no plans. Our Panhandle area is one of those regions. The entire, when I looked at this uh, boundaries and looked at the map and looked at where we had flood hazard information, 
it was a big void and I was thinking, how is this region ever going to put a flood plan together? They don't even know where their flood hazard is. Uh, so we worked at TWDB with uh, Fathom and came up with this cursory floodplain on formation. Region 1, as we call it, that's our Panhandle area, Canadian Upper Red. They took that information, produced a plan where they identified where their flood hazard is, and there is some significant ones. What's their population that at risk of flood hazard? How many low water crossing hospitals, police stations, fire station, etc., is at flood hazard, at 1% and all chance flood hazard? So that's something I think that region has come a long way from there where they started from. Um, so that's one. The other piece is that it was very difficult to do no negative impact. Um, I'll explain a bit on that. So no negative impact comes from the legislature. Makes perfect sense. It's essentially you cannot do a project and cause your neighbor to flood. Gotcha. That's the gist of it. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if you ask a water resources engineer, it's not as easy to do. You have to have detailed model. You have to compare existing condition to what the project you're proposing to do. You have to put that project in the model and compare the two and then prove up that there is no negative impact. And that's not as easy to do. Um, so a little bit of surprised how difficult it was to do that and at some point I personally was a bit worried that how many projects are you going to get into these flood plans. After receiving this we're right now um, with all of the projects across Texas our need is greater than 37 billion. Okay 37 so, billion over how many years? Uh, that's just that there is no time frame to it okay. it's just this is our need and this is the cost. Gotcha. Um, so it was pretty great, even with a um, really large, that number is large, even knowing that it was so hard to put the projects in and knowing this is only a fraction of what our need is. Mm -hmm. So you think it's going to be a lot higher, I guess, than 37 billion eventually? Over, over time, yes. Yeah. Okay. Likely. Well, Harvey was what, hundred? you said $143 billion just from that? or, or That is true. That yeah. is true. When you draw that comparison, yeah. Yeah, okay. it was 143 billion. So, kind of, you know, getting into the process of of putting all 15 of these plans into one regional plan. I know that, you know, with the uh, regional water planning, you know, sometimes the plans were like, you know, kind of contradictory to each other or whatever. There was a, you know, a great deal of effort to get those to fit together, at least in the first few rounds. Um, are you uh, you know, kind of anticipating about, you know, some of the issues you're going to encounter trying to fit all these flood plans together to make one big state water or flood plan? Haven't seen that <laughs> yet, but you have to talk she, to me. <laughs> let the record show she knocked on her wooden desk. Yeah. Okay. Um, have not quite seen that yet. Um, but we also haven't put together the 15 flood plans. So once we start to put, put it together, we will know more. Gotcha. We did uh, quite a bit of work at the front end to set up a database where all these 15 plans can come together at the end seamlessly with our uh, guidance document, because we were very aware that if we have 15 plans from 15 regions, which looks 15 different ways, we will not be able to put it together in such a short, short time frame. 
So they had they have some in terms of task, how the data is put together, how the maps are put together. There is some coherence to it. So hopefully that will help us. Gotcha. And you know, it's I mean, you're going through this for the first time. I mean, so I'm sure you're kind of you know, you're figuring out things that maybe work better than others or methods to do all this. And so I'm sure there's a lot of, of, of kind of, uh, you know, ad- adapting as you go um, to, to, you know, setting out how you'll be doing this for the future. So. Yeah, every, absolutely. Every five years, right? Every five okay. years. Yeah. How will that. So I'm trying to think the, uh, the, the new state water plan, I guess it's 2022. I think. And uh, so this will be 2024. Yes. So they're not going to be like coming out the same year. They're they're going to be staggered. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, let's see. So I'm you know curious. You know we've got a history all across the United States of kind of you know turning to um, you know cement and steel and you know thing and you know earth and levees to to deal with floods. Have you have you seen in you know, what's come in so far, any green infrastructure like bioswells or restoring wetlands, doing anything like that to, you know, reduce the impact of flooding? So uh, just not for the flood planning process, but also have been working as a water resources flood engineer for some time. That has been our go-to solution for some time to going just gray solutions. And we have seen the impact of that. Um, we work to move our water as fast as we can. And then the, then you can get various um, concerns downstream, right. like erosion. So I think there has been a slow but sure shift in looking for nature-based solution. I have heard that term a lot from many of the regions. The flood planning uh, groups are self-governing. We provide guidelines, and it is included in one of our guidelines that was developed with several state agencies that look at, please look at nature-based solutions. So we do not step in in our role. We help as assistance is needed. Uh, So sitting from where I am, I heard nature-based solution quite a bit in from various regions. Also, from the data we request for each of the project, there is a data asked for, okay, what percent of your project incorporates nature-based solution? Uh, the nature-based solution has uh, some functional benefits, some other functional benefit, like as water flows, water needs space to flow. Some of can be absorbed to the ground. And we have seen some really good examples of it done in various parts of Texas. Uh, so um, we're optimistic to see quite a bit of that and we have guidance provided to encourage that okay interesting so you know kind of thinking about you mentioned about you know fast and i was thinking okay fast versus slow you know we united states we've spent about 400 years speeding up the water cycle we're trying to get water off land as quickly as you can and send it downstream you know creating a lot of flooding problems and so uh seems to me that we're kind of in an era of rethinking that and trying to kind of slow down the water cycle and keep it, keep water on the landscape longer to, you know, allow for aquifer recharge and, and kind of space out flood flow or, and, you know, just base flows and, and rivers, et cetera. So, 
um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people kind of looking at this plan and seeing, you know, is it kind of, is it, is it uh, kind of recognizing that, I guess, in some ways that, you know, we're, we're kind of changing our approach to, to water management in that regard? I think we'll see quite a bit of incorporation of nature-based solution in the various plans. We received the plans not too long ago and still in the process of reviewing it. Uh, once we put together the state flood plan, I will be able to give you a more comprehensive view of how much of a nature-based solution we are seeing. But we definitely heard it mentioned in many, many regional flood planning group meetings. By the way, fun fact, starting October 2022 to date, there has been over 450 regional flood planning group meetings in the state of Texas. So now 450 beginning when? October of 2020. Wow. Okay. That's quite a bit. That's, mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't care how many months that is, but um, 450. So um, the so each one of these 15, you know, groups are probably meeting how many times each one of them, you think? I mean, just on average, would that be? Some of them has been, uh, ha- some of them have been meeting almost once a month. That's how much they needed to meet at work to produce this flood plan so quickly. Right, right. Well, that's uh, when I was part of the Edwards Oxford Recovery Implementation Program. We met every month for almost five years, and right. had sub meetings and all that in between those. And so, that's quite a bit of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess you know a lot of people volunteering their time, or maybe they work for an agency, but they're a member of that group. But I'm sure some people are just kind of spending their own time in that process. Absolutely. It's been a huge lift, tremendous amount of work by this group of people, what they accomplished in this very brief period of time. So uh, folks who listen to this podcast know that one of the roles of the Texas Water Development Board is, you know, also kind of a banker. You know, it's funding uh, various war projects in the state of Texas. And so, you know, thinking a little bit down the road here. Um, you know, once the state water plan is together, uh, are there funds that are available to pay for the projects that are anticipated to be in this plan? Once the state flood plan is together. So our funding and our planning is a separate pro- process, much like water planning. Uh, the requirement right now is that the projects have to be in the state flood plan to be eligible for a FIP funding, we call it flood infrastructure fund, a FIP funding. Same as kind of the regional water planning process. Very process. much yeah. so. Uh, the first adopted flood plan, however, is not until September of 2024. So it's what the board decides. Also, it's up to the legislature uh, during this cycle how much fund will be put into FIP. Okay, so we don't know yet how much might be available. Yeah, they haven't decided that. And you think this session looks like the one where they're going to decide how much is going to be available? That's how it's looking like. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to be standing by and watching the ledge on that for sure. Um, And so let's kind of, you know, wrap up now with a a final question. Um, You know, our listeners are probably interested in this flood planning process. Actually, I have two questions. Okay, I'll ask this one first, and then I'll ask the last one, which is different. Um, So how can people find out more about what you're doing and and the flood planning uh, process for the state of Texas? Sure. 
Uh, so the easy answer is please Google TWDB flood planning. It will take you to our website, which is the TWDB flood planning website, www.twdb.texas.gov forward slash flood forward slash planning. It will take you to our website. We have a tool, a very easy tool on our website, which calls Find Your Flood Planning Region. So you go in there, type in your address, and it will take you to your flood planning region. You click on that tell you who your chair is for your region, tell you where their website is. If you want to attend their next meeting, um, you're welcome to. This is a very bottom-up approach. Great. Okay, now here really is the last question. So uh, what do you think? I mean, you think that what uh, is is going on here might be kind of a model for other states? I mean, the, the regional water planning process has been a model for other states. I'm wondering... How do you think maybe the flood planning process might be as well? Uh, very possible. That I feel like that is a question I didn't quite touch on. So after Texas passed uh, its legislature in 2019, about the similar time frame, there were several other states who has passed regulation to do a statewide uh, floodplain management or flood risk reduction. I'm aware of Louisiana, I'm aware of Oklahoma, and I'm aware of South Carolina. So we met with Louisiana at the very beginning briefly, and we met with Carolina twice, and we just shared with what do we do, and all of our information is on the website. So it's very possible. Uh, California does quite a bit of watershed-wide management, but what we did with uh, bottom-up approach, people in their region having uh, the, the decision-making about how they're going to do this within a framework, uh, that I feel like is uh, pretty unique. We see a lot of interest towards getting public input, and I saw it in the ground when I worked for City of Austin. The project really is not implementable if you do not have the buy-in of your community can have a perfect solution, you can have the funding, you can have it permitted, but if the people do not want it in their neighborhood, it doesn't work. Right. So I think that's that's why this regional flood planning process is so amazing or so great because they're working with the people from the region who is making this decision, moving these projects up. So I see potential for other regions um, being able to utilize the information, hopefully to very good way and um, this process being helpful to uh, folks other than the folks in our state. Well, with uh, Texas, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Oklahoma all kind of starting at the same time, it'd be interesting to take a look in 10 years and see, you know, how it turned out for everybody and who, uh, who maybe did the best job. I'm betting on Texas. I don't know. It's just I'm biased. Um, Reem, thank you for joining us today. I really found this you know, very uh, educational for me because I, you know, been kind of looking at the flood planning process from the outside, but um, didn't really know too many of the details. Thank you so much for having me. So this has been Talk Plus Water. My guest today was Reem June, Director of the Flood Planning Division of the Texas Water Development Board, uh, and she is leading the effort to develop the first state flood plan for Texas. I also want to thank you, the listener, for spending your valuable time on this podcast. And finally, I want to give a big thank you to Anna Hub at the Meadows Center for Water and the Environment at Texas State University for getting each episode of Texas Water ready to flow. How do you, how do you like that? Ready to flow. I came up with that myself. 
Um, anyway, my name is Todd Baller. Let's talk water again soon.